The unmasking of Mike Flynn in the last days of the Obama administration is the most egregious political scandal of our lifetimes. And we've just learned it goes all the way up to Joe Biden, maybe even higher. Meanwhile, the new masking order in LA caps off the most arbitrary political power grab of our lifetimes. Luckily, President Trump is starting to break with his expert doctor dictators. Then, another rough interview for Joe Biden, a big Republican win in California, and finally the mailbag. All that and more, I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Face masks are now required in this city of Los Angeles every time you leave your home. Not when you go into a store, not when you go to the supermarket. Anytime you leave your home, you could be going on a hike in the middle of nowhere. You're two miles from anybody or more. You still have to wear your mask. I am obviously going to ignore that order, and I recommend that all of you do as well. If you happen to be in Los Angeles or anywhere else, one of these draconian rules is in place. But that's not the end to the crazy, arbitrary power grabs. We'll get to masking. We'll get to the unmasking because this Obamagate thing is real. I usually play it pretty safe when it comes to these uh, scandals. You know, I usually tamp down expectations. This one's pretty big. It, it goes up pretty high. Uh, before we get into all of that, I got to thank our friends over at Keeps. You know, even during this panic, even during this lockdown, got to take care of your hair because then you will emerge still looking great. Okay. And you used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Keeps makes it very easy and they deliver your medication every three months. So you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Prevention is the key here. Okay. Keeps treatments can keep up to, can take up to four to six months or more to see results. So it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. You know, I'm not exactly an Adonis necessarily, an Olympic athlete or anything, but I've always had good hair and it always helped me with the ladies. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. Nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to receive your first month of treatment for free. My gift to you, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Knowles. So I'm not going to comply with this mask order in Los Angeles. It, this is arbitrary. It has uh, no bearing on reality. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. I'm, there's a very famous short story. A lot of kids read it in school. It's called Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville, the guy who wrote Moby Dick. And in it, you know, there's this guy Bartleby and Bartleby is working at this office. And whenever he's told to do something, he just says, I would prefer not to. You just, you can say that to your boss. Hey, go, go write up this thing. Go do this thing. I would prefer not to. That's how I feel about this order. We got another, we got another, uh, piece of news from Los Angeles yesterday. Remember we covered these arbitrary public health rulings. So they've told us now they've heard us. They say the beaches are open, but for active use only, no passive use on the beach. Uh, face coverings are required when you're sitting on the beach. So you, so you're going to get a very awkward tan line because this bottom part of your face is going to be very pale and the upper part is going to be tan. You must maintain six feet of distance from others. If it's five feet, 11 inches, you will get coronavirus, but six feet and one inch, you'll be good. You are permitted on the beach to swim, surf, bodyboard, 
run and walk. Maybe not jogging. Jogging might be up in the air. But you are not permitted. It is prohibited for you to sit or sunbathe or play volleyball or picnic. You can't picnic or bike. You can run, but you can't bike. You can surf, but you can't bike. You can walk, but you can't sit. And you can't sunbathe, even though some preliminary evidence shows that vitamin D is a very good way to fight off coronavirus. But I don't know. They don't want you to get too much sun, too much vitamin D. It's just, it's absurd, obviously. I feel like Nancy Pelosi at the State of the Union. It's, it's arbitrary is the problem. And arbitrary power grabs are not what we're about in this country. We like the rules to be clear. We have a country that is based on a constitution that builds up, in, that builds up institutions that then pass laws for us and govern us not the whims of some two-bit tin pot dictators. How long is this going to go on for? We were told initially three months by LA officials. Then they decided to walk that back because there was an uproar, but they didn't totally walk it back. Now, even if they're going to start reopening certain things, the mayor of LA is saying that the city is not going to reopen until there's a cure, which may never come. I think we have to all recognize that we're not moving beyond COVID-19. We're learning to live with it. Um, It's important not to overreact, but it's important to take this serious because it is as dangerous today as it was the first day that it arrived in our cities and our country. So quite frankly, there's no so-called open state or open country that doesn't continue to have health orders telling us to cover our faces, physically distance, and to tell people that you're safest working from and staying at home. At the same time, we take steps forward. For instance, this past weekend, we opened up our trails. We have retail for curbside pickup. We'll see that expanded and even some active recreation on our uh, beaches this coming weekend. Those are important and we've never been fully closed. We'll never be completely open until we have a cure, but I do believe that we can take steps, but monitor those numbers, listen to the scientists and the medical professionals and make the tough calls, even when there's criticism. Until we have a cure, we'll never go back to normal. We're going to have to be safer at home. And until we have a cure, we're going to have to wear masks, cover our faces, cover the expressive part of our bodies, shut ourselves up until there's a cure. Can't sit on the beach in Southern California until there's a cure? What makes this guy think there's going to be a cure? Do we have a cure for AIDS? Do we have a cure for Zika? Do we have a cure for Ebola? Do we have a cure for the common cold? Do we have a cure for any, any of these viruses, diseases? No. People who put their faith in science, we did a whole show yesterday about the false god science, People who put their faith in modern medical natural science are going to be disappointed. We just pretend that, okay, well, yes, it takes uh, 14 months and four days to develop a vaccine to fight off a novel virus and and epidemic. We don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll get a vaccine. Maybe we won't. And by the way, if we do get a vaccine, how many people do you think want to be in the first test group on that vaccine? Something tells me about zero. So how are you actually going to get people to take it? You're going you're gonna to force them to take it? You're going to do coerced injections? I don't know. The way the government, government power grabs have been going, possibly. Just saying, this is going to take a long time, and we have to return to normal. And I'm sick of these two-bit, tin-pot, banana republic dictators like Eric Garcetti flexing their muscles 
saying you can, yeah, you can ride a bike, but you can't, you can't jog. You can, but, and you can't sunbathe, but you can, you can, you know, roll around in the sand and you can hop on one foot while singing the national anthem in a top hat, but you're not allowed to wear a fedora. I mean, just ridiculous, senseless kind of rulings. I frankly, I think, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think I'm going too easy on him. We are not ruled by these guys. We are, and, and these guys are exporting their power to, to, to scientific lab coat dictators. Fortunately though, uh, while you hear Fauci saying, we have to follow the science, all hell the medical science, there's some evidence that Trump is beginning to break with some of our lab coat dictators. President Trump, uh, you know, was asked about Dr. Fauci, the exalted Dr. Fauci. Uh, Dr. Fauci has been similarly discouraging of reopening and Trump is finally breaking with him. He said he disagrees with Fauci on when we can open the schools. So Anthony is a good person, very good person. I've disagreed with him. Uh, when I closed the border to China, he disagreed with that. And then ultimately he agreed and he said, I saved hundreds of thousands of lives, which is what happened. Everybody disagreed when I did that. I think that we have to open our schools. Young people are very little affected by this. Uh, we have to get the schools open. We have to get our country open. We have to open our country. Now, we want to do it safely, but we also want to do it as quickly as possible. We can't keep going on like this. I mean, you're going to have, uh, you're having bedlam already in the streets. You can't, you can't do this. We have to get it open. Uh, I totally disagree with him on schools. So I think Trump is right here. I, I, there's a caveat to that, but I think Trump is right. Anthony Fauci might be a good person, might be a nice guy. I'm sick of Fauci. No more Fauci. <laughs> okay. I don't pass a constitutional amendment that says that Dr. Fauci rules me. Otherwise enough Fauci. Okay. Yes. We need schools to reopen. We can't just pause our lives indefinitely like Eric Garcetti wants us to. The one caveat I say to this is the longer that the schools remain closed, the better our chances of breaking this sort of state education monopoly that they have, the kind of craziness that is taught in schools. I mean, we did a story on this show a few months ago about a preschool in Brooklyn that's teaching little three and four-year-olds that boys are girls and girls are boys and you can pick your own gender. That's not great stuff. So if we could crack that a little bit, if we could show people that maybe they don't need to spend a quarter of a million dollars to go to some college where they won't learn anything, won't get any practical training either, and uh, will end up in debt for the rest of their lives. If we could do that, that might not be the worst effect of this uh, lockdown. Actually, that might be a silver lining in the storm cloud. But broadly speaking, we have to reopen society. There's no amount of money we can spend. There is no policy we can write up and craft and pass that will make up for everybody sitting at home for six months or eight months or 10 months, or if the mayor of LA is to be believed forever until we get a cure. The left is furious that President Trump is disagreeing with Fauci, particularly those Cuomo brothers, Fredo Cuomo, who has a CNN show, and Anthony Cuomo, the Anthony Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Here are the Cuomo's outrage at questioning our benevolent doctor dictator. I want to show you uh, a clip of the president today talking about Tony Fauci because it is a demonstration of how feelings are overwhelming fact in this situation, literally by intentional assault. 
the president is playing to people's feelings. We got to reopen. You got to be back in school or you're not really open. Uh, it's been too long. And that's why states are reopening, Gov, because it's not about the facts that are reopening them. And you're going to have to follow that same path if the people demand it. Yeah, Trump is manipulating people's feelings. Unlike Chris Cuomo, who would never think of doing that, even though he said that anyone who thinks we should ever reopen society is basically killing grandma and is responsible for tens of thousands of deaths. What a joke. What a joke this guy is. This dichotomy here, by the way, between fact and feeling on this issue is a complete false one. Uh, On the one hand, the, the left, which has been pushing the alarmism, does not have the facts on their side. They said early on the, that big uh, study, the Imperial College study that we based all of our policies on said 2.4 million Americans dead, right? That wasn't true. That was way, way off. So many of the other models from the so-called scientists, way, way off. So they don't have facts on their side. The conservatives who said, hmm, what's, what's Sweden doing over there? Maybe we should actually try to develop a sort of herd immunity. Increasingly, it seems pretty clear that they had the facts on their side. There's a very good article in Foreign Policy uh, in the magazine uh, that just came out yesterday on how we're all going to end up like Sweden anyway, because of course we are. If we're not going to get a vaccine anytime soon and the hospital systems are not being overwhelmed uh, and the virus continues to spread, then the only option is for the virus to spread. That's not necessarily a wonderful thing, but that's just where we are. So they don't have the facts on their side. But similarly, Uh, when we come to manipulating feeling, the left has been doing this from the very beginning. And even more important than that, politics involves some feeling. Okay. That's why we elect people. That's why we have a representative democracy is so that the government can take the pulse on how we're all feeling. If, if we were just going to have a fact, I don't even really believe in this distinction here between the facts and values and things like that. But if we were just going to have a purely cold, sterile, fact-based politics, then we wouldn't have elections. Why would you have elections? You would just appoint the best experts and they would run the country. But you would, you would just appoint, you would basically construct robots just to run the country and it would all be run on facts and would have no care about people's feelings. But we don't do that because our representative democracy has more than just these technocratic robot overlords. We express our feelings. We express our desires. We express our preferences. We express the amount of risk that we're willing to endure, to live, to not be held prisoner in our own homes, to be able to express ourselves and not have a freaking mask covering our face all the time in perpetuity on the beach. We express those preferences and those desires. That's what politics is. It involves a fair bit of feeling. Cuomo knows that. Both Cuomos know that because they're demagogues themselves, but they they want to claim fact. You know, this is what they do with science. Remember the word science comes from the Latin word shire for all of human knowledge. And then these very narrow materialists, they, they claim all of knowledge for themselves. Now, there's some wisdom in other places too. There's some wisdom in the American people, and there's a lot of evidence that they're beginning to turn on these draconian policies. While there's wisdom in the American people, let's not forget there's a lot of foolishness and corruption in the government. This is the biggest story, the biggest political scandal of our lifetimes, Obamagate. Obamagate. I know people think it's being hyped. They're being told it's a conspiracy. It's, it is a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact. Uh, we now know what happened. And this is some brutal, brutal stuff. We'll get to it in one second. First though, got to thank our friends, the Benham brothers. So coronavirus, 
obviously having a big impact on small businesses. Never more important to manage your business workforce and workflow really well. Systems are crucial right now, and the Benham Brothers are fabulous at this. These guys have over a dozen businesses. They got a real estate empire that spans over 35 states. Just a few weeks ago, the Benham Brothers launched a new podcast called Expert Ownership. In their new podcast, the Benham Brothers interview leaders from all walks of life to help you navigate your business through these challenging times. You'll hear from leaders like Senator Ted Cruz, I know that guy. I've heard of him. Al Robertson from Duck Dynasty, many more. I really like them. They're super cool guys. Uh, they're, they're really great at presenting this information as well, and they got the uh, experience to back it up. Go check out their new podcast, Expert Ownership, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll drop a link to their podcast in our show description. That is Expert Ownership. Go check it out. This Obamagate scandal is the biggest one of our lifetimes, and it's not getting any play because the media are corrupt and in bed with the officials involved, and because it's a little bit complicated. So I'm going to try to simplify it in just like one or two minutes. More than a dozen Obama administration officials, high-ranking Obama administration officials, signed off on the unmasking of Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn was the incoming national security advisor for Trump. This happened during the presidential transition period. So after Trump had won the election, before he's inaugurated. One of the officials who signed off on the unmasking of Michael Flynn was Joe Biden, the current Democratic frontrunner, I guess. I don't know where he is. I'm not convinced he is still with us, but uh, he is theoretically going to be the Democratic nominee in November. Other senior Obama officials include UN Ambassador Samantha Power, CIA Director John Brennan, and the White House Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough. What is unmasking? We know what masking is. We do a lot of that these days. What is unmasking? Unmasking refers to the ability of the government to spy on foreigners in certain cases, particularly if the foreigners, foreign governments, foreign people, have some relationship to terrorism. That's in particular. Sometimes when you're spying on these foreigners, you pick up conversations with American citizens. Those conversations are then masked because the government doesn't have this carte blanche right to just spy on American citizens and then make that available to other people in the government. So you'll see who the foreign official is, but they will mask who the American official is. Sometimes intelligence officials can request that the NSA, no such agency, National Security Agency, unmask those American citizens for security purposes. So reveal who the American citizens are who are talking to the foreign officials. That does not appear to be what happened here. It wasn't some intel officials for a legitimate investigation who were doing this unmasking. Actually, what happened here is that politicians, very prominent politicians, requested this. This is very strange. It's very odd for requests for unmasking to come from politicians, particularly politicians this high up. Very strange, very rare for requests like this to come in a period of presidential transition, meaning from the outgoing administration into the incoming administration. Frankly, seems unprecedented. Think of the effect that this decision had, that Joe Biden signed off on to unmask Mike Flynn, had the effect of allowing the previous administration to nullify the incoming national security director, just took him out, or national security advisor rather. 
forced the incoming attorney general to recuse himself. So Trump didn't, he didn't get an NSA right away. He didn't get an attorney general for much of his administration or his first term, (laughs) first term, please. Hostile bureaucrats were then allowed to undermine the administration from within during the Trump administration, completely kneecapped the administration in the first three years and covered up the truth, covered up the truth for what are we at now? Three and a half years. It's just beginning to come out almost a full presidential term. What the Obama people were hoping would be the full Trump presidential term. This all goes back to a January 5th meeting where, uh, and, and we know about this meeting because former Obama national security advisor, Susan Rice wrote an unusual email to herself to take notes about this meeting that she attended with deputy attorney general, Sally Yates, FBI director, Jim Comey and VP Joe Biden. She sent this email to herself. Why? Maybe to have some notes. Why? Maybe to exonerate herself if this ever came out. The the notes said, President Obama said he wants to be sure that as we engage with the incoming team, we're mindful to ascertain if there is any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. See the implication here. You need, what it would seem that that meeting is suggesting is that the outgoing administration needs to be able to frame the incoming administration in such a way that they can keep power for themselves, hold over power for themselves, keep it away from the Trump administration. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? If I were a gambling man, here's my theory. I think a pretty straightforward theory. The Obama administration spied on the Trump campaign. We know that. They spied on the Trump campaign using BS intel cooked up by Democrats, ironically colluding with the Russians through the Steele dossier. We know that for a fact. When Trump unexpectedly won, he wasn't supposed to win. Remember, 99% chance Hillary wins. The Obama administration knew that they had to cover their tracks because what they did was so egregious. So they had to keep the bogus Russia investigations going, which they did by entrapping and sidelining Flynn and forcing Sessions to recuse himself. That bought them almost entire an entire presidential administration of the Russia hoax investigations and distractions. And they almost got away with it. They got so close, but they didn't. They didn't get away with it. We now see it coming out. There is a criminal investigation being conducted by John Durham. We'll see what happens next. I have two big takeaways. One sort of gives us some oomph, some confidence for the Trump administration. And one is a little bit sadder. We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at First Leaf. You know, I love all of our sponsors, but I really love First Leaf (laughs) because I really like wine and I really like good wine and I don't like paying good wine prices. Picture this, you're at home, you're finishing a glass of wine just as you're about to pour another, it happens. The realization that you're out, the bottles are gone. They call that no venophobia, the fear of running out of wine. That's the official expert scientific technical term. Thanks to First Leaf. I get personalized boxes of wine shipped right to my door. I've had other wine clubs before. They don't even come close to First Leaf. They don't even come close. I pay for First Leaf now. They gave me a freebie for a month or two. I now pay and I get the best package I can. They know, they, they not only know, but then they learn even more your taste in wine. They send you really cool stuff, really high, excellent, excellent quality. Listen, I've had a bottle of wine or two in my life. Uh, this, this place is, uh, there's, there's no peer to it. You've got to try it out, especially now when it's harder to go to the store. Uh, First Leaf has a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. So if you receive a bottle you're not into, First Leaf will cover the cost. Sign up today, get six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. 
very low price. Try, that, that's uh, tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 at tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. My two takeaways here. This is the biggest political scandal of our lifetimes by far. This is much, much worse than Watergate. You always hear political pundits and, and analysts and commentators. They say, this is worse than Watergate about whatever scandal it is. In the Obama administration, you could talk about the IRS targeting scandal. You could talk about Fast and Furious. You could talk about any number of things. In the Trump administration, I don't know, you could talk about how he sent some mean tweet sometime. We say it's worse than Watergate. I don't use that phrase. I don't think I've ever used that phrase to refer to a political scandal yet. I am using it to refer to this one. This is truly worse than Watergate, goes up much higher, very likely touches the president himself. We need to know what Barack Obama knew and when he knew it. We need to subpoena these people, find out what the, the logic was for unmasking Michael Flynn, find out why the vice president of the United States signed off on this, why it went so high, got so political eight days before he left office. Got to find out what that January 5th meeting was all about that Susan Rice sent that email to herself about. Got to find out a whole lot of stuff because it stinks to high heaven. And I can't imagine any evidence that would exculpate these guys. That's the one takeaway. The other takeaway is they're probably going to get away with it. They're probably going to get away with it. That's just a political reality. Why wouldn't they? It's Obama's old news. He, he did get away with it, right? He finished his administration. Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee right now. So the trial of these people is going to be held in the court of public opinion at the ballot box, perhaps as it should be. No one's going to cover it. It's too complicated for people to really digest. You know, at least in Watergate, Watergate was, was not as complicated. It was just kind of a bungled burglary that the president, I guess, covered up. I mean, it's like nothing compared to this, but it was a little more straightforward. And obviously you had a news media that were pushing it all the time and you had Republicans who folded. This, it's, it's, it's more complicated. The only place that people are going to be able to weigh in is at the ballot box, okay? Speaking of which, Joe Biden just had a fairly unfortunate interview with Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair is not a right-wing publication, but the Vanity Fair contributor, Peter Hamby, confronted Joe Biden on video about all of the mean things that people call him on the internet. It was really a delightful interview. Biden didn't have a great response. The Shorenstein Center up at Harvard did a study of all of the anti-Biden memes out there on the internet. And according to them, the top three slogans they're seeing, this is from the left and the right, are Dementia Joe, Sleepy Joe, Creepy Joe. Barack Obama reportedly said last week that his daughters have been showing him anti-Biden TikToks. You can't make us vote for Joe Biden. You can't make us vote for Joe Biden. Basically, there's an entire discourse on the internet right now that's painting you as creepy and old and out of touch and kind of lame. How do you fight back against that? Look, Trump is a master at laying nicknames on people, but the vast majority of the voters out there that have voted, including young people, are not getting all their news from, from the internet. And But I'm trying to compete there. We're getting started late in a comparative sense. The vast majority of people, including young people, are not getting their news from the internet. I'm not out of touch. You know who's out of touch? That really small group of people who use this newfangled thing called the internet. Nah, me, me, look, I'm in touch. They call me in touch Joe. All right. I come home every night. I put on the phonograph and I listen to the latest recordings of the news. 
<laughs> I think he actually used the phrase phonograph during a debate. Do you remember that? He said I, he was making some, what was then immediately perceived as a racially insensitive comment. Joe Biden is kind of known for those uh, about how uh, it was like black families need to play put the record player on for their kids to read. Initially, he said, you know, put on the, the music, the CD, the, the phonograph, the record player. It, was just, it got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I guess he's doing it again. That's Joe Biden. Please, please don't make them vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, they're, uh, they're rattled, okay? And, you know, Joe Biden is very good at keeping his composure a lot of the time, but it isn't going well. I think Democrats are scared about this because nobody wants to vote for Joe Biden. You're now in the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, uh, possibly, depending on how the next few weeks play out. And yet still, Donald Trump looks like he's going to be Joe Biden because Joe Biden is a, a walking cadaver. He's not a real candidate. He was always kind of a doof, you know, from the 80s. And then he ran again in the 2000s. Now he's running again now. No one ever really liked him. He's never a great candidate. But he can't even beat Trump during this particular instance. And you have Obamagate hanging over everybody, including implicating the nominee. Just to show you, I mean, the, the good thing about this being weighed in at the ballot box is the Republicans can make an issue out of this. If they can get their messaging right, we know that the Democrats won't get their messaging right because Joe Biden can't form a coherent sentence. And the DNC spokesman has no answer on this. She went on Fox News. I can't pronounce her name because it's got too many consonants in a row. But her last name is Hino Hosa. And this uh, spokesman, DNC communications director, goes on Fox News, is asked about Obamagate, and sputters in, in a way, I can't, even, I can't even listen to the whole clip. Unmasking and something like unmasking is something that you are just looking to see more intelligent. It is nothing that is scandalous in any way. But frankly, this is going to backfire on Republicans because it just showed how serious Flynn was and his conversations with the Russians. So Republicans can try to use this to play political football. But in reality, this is going to backfire with that. Is that a crime to talk to uh, other countries during that period? Well, I think that when, well, whenever you are, are trying to interfere in an election or in any way, um, try to go against the United States, I think that, you know, that is something that is. And so I think that right now, was the when it comes was to the plan and Sorry. the Department of Justice Sorry, politicizing things, this is just time and time what, again, what, right you continue on. to see this Justice Department politicize issues in order to help Donald Trump. The answer there was a suggestion that there was collusion. There's been no proof of that. Where's yours? You continue to see this Justice Department and specifically, you know, Bill Barr trying to cover up for the president generally. Oh, that's so embarrassing. You know, uh, I'm really glad that she doesn't have an answer to this because it shows how weak the Democrats case is. But as someone, you know, I've done a lot of TV news hits that I can't even imagine how that must have felt in the moment where she just she's sitting there. She's on national television. She's on the biggest cable news network and she's, she doesn't have an answer. What on earth is the answer? Uh, this gives us some strategy going into November, which is we got to turn up the light. We got to turn up the heat. Sunlight is a great disinfectant. That's true when it comes to viruses. It's true when it comes to political scandals. We will get to a little bit more and then the mailbag. But first, I've got to thank you. Got to thank you and take a moment to tell you about Daily Wire's newest 
most exclusive membership tier, All Access. The All Access membership tier is our premier level of membership. All Access members get to participate in All Access Lives each, each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Now, I don't even call it a show because it's you're just hanging out. And these days, the only way you can hang out with anybody is online. So come hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. You also get three more hours, three total hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, exclusive Q&As. You get, of course, the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You need that. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join Daily Wire's All Access Club with a new membership or an upgrade. Get 10% off with coupon code Knowles. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. Coupon code Knowles. We'll see you there. Be right back with some more news in the mailbag. Just a little piece of news I have to get to before we get into the mailbag. Out of California, California's 25th congressional district just flipped Republican for the first time since 1998. No Republican since 1998 has flipped any district in California. And Mike Garcia, who I believe is a Navy pilot and he's really, really good candidate. He just won that seat over Democrat Christy Smith by 12 points. That seat was forfeited by Democrat Katie Hill, best known for having a thruple with her husband and a staffer and kind of burning the staffer, I think leaving the husband. Anyway, it's a mess. It's a mess. Those scandals don't really, don't really help you keep your congressional seat. So that's good news. You know, this is a this fairly moderate district. Is that going to tell us something about November? Obviously not every uh, congressional district has a thruple having incumbent, but might tell us something about November, might tell us something about pushback against the Democrats' overreach. We're seeing that in Wisconsin. 4-3 decision at the Wisconsin Supreme Court struck down Governor Tony Evers' stay-at-home order in Wisconsin, meaning Wisconsin is reopening as it should. This is some good news. Even amidst all these crazy political scandals and a bunch of dumb orders that we're all going to ignore from mayors like Eric Garcetti, there is a little bit of good news. All right, let's get into the mailbag from chastity or chastity. Dear Noble Knowles, I'm a registered nurse in Oklahoma. I listened to your show faithfully and was basically silenced among my peers for my beliefs on the COVID-19 crisis until this week. Last week was nurses week. We were showered with lunches and gifts only to be emailed by our CEO that they would be making drastic cuts, cutting leadership salaries by 26%, furloughing thousands of frontline employees, and stopping 401k contributions. They said those who still had jobs would have to be thankful for that and step up. They will freeze any hiring. If they run out of PTO, you'll need to pay your portion of health benefits or those benefits will be terminated while we have no income. This shutdown has not only cost jobs of so many Americans, but also the healthcare frontline workers are paying the same price. Part of my many reasons for becoming a nurse was job security. I'm now faced with the uncertainty of losing my job. I have many nursing friends across the U.S. who are facing similar fates from their hospitals. My question is, why is this not the biggest news story? If this isn't the biggest indicator that scientists got it wrong, I'm not sure what else could be. Very sorry to hear that you're going through all of that, and I'm not terribly surprised. From the beginning, there's been a lot of demagoguery on this from the lab coats and from the, more, more than that, from the politicians who amplify the lab coats and the commentators who do that as well. And they've set up a lot of false dichotomies. They've said that either we can save people's lives or 
open the economy, but we can't do both. And if you open the economy, you're going to kill people. Actually, there's no evidence the lockdowns have saved a single life. And there is plenty of evidence that the lockdowns have killed people. So they got that one dead wrong. Another one they have is either you can support the lockdowns and support healthcare workers or oppose the lockdowns and oppose healthcare workers. This is a line that's become popular on the left. It's healthcare workers. It's a alleged healthcare worker slogan. We're here for you. So stay home for us. As though it's good for the healthcare workers if you stay home. But that's not true. That's not true. Many, if not most, healthcare workers in the U.S. are at serious risk of losing their jobs if we don't reopen the economy because the influx from coronavirus hasn't been anywhere near as dramatic as people said it would. Right? The Javits Center Emergency Hospital in New York was basically empty. That hospital ship in New York was basically empty. Same thing in California. We just haven't seen that overwhelming of the healthcare system. Meanwhile, every other medical procedure is not being conducted. So you're actually, when you stay home, you're actually hurting the healthcare workers in, uh, in pretty significant ways. So I'm sorry to hear you're going through that. And I'm sorry to hear that our politicians are such dummies. And I'm sorry to hear that the American people are going to give up their faculties of reason and self-government for a bunch of uh, two-bit would-be experts in lab coats. It's just very, very unfortunate situation all around does appear the tide has turned a little bit. We should encourage that and we should ignore all the stupid orders, arbitrary power grabs that are being foisted on us. From Aiden, dear Mr. Knowles, as you have mentioned on previous episodes, loneliness in the U.S. has been on the rise, especially among millennials. What would you recommend someone who is feeling lonely do to overcome this issue? And how could they improve their human relations when encountering new individuals? Loneliness is the, it is affecting everybody. Well, certainly right now in the quarantine, but it affects people, virtually everybody in modern liberal secular society. It isolates even the, the person you would say is the greatest social butterfly. You know, he's very good at talking to people or whatever. Very often you'll see that people in terms of their, you know, serious relationships, whether boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, you know, husband, wife, or deep friendships, not just the kind of, you know, amicable, get along, drinking buddy kind of stuff, but really deep friendship grounded in, in, in real substance. Those don't exist very much. And if you have any of those, you're, you're very fortunate, but for, for maybe most people that, that isn't really going away. So what, what do I recommend you do? First thing is go to church. (laughs) It has a very practical effect. You'll be around a lot of people and you'll talk to people and Most of them recognize that humans are social and we actually need to engage with one another. Uh, But also it will, it'll just focus your view of the world because one, one temptation when you're feeling lonely is to try to get something for yourself, you know, to, to get a hookup or a girlfriend, you know, or something, but for you or a friend to hang out with for you. And that's obviously not how human relationships work. You, you get the most out of it when you give the most of yourself away. So first one, always good advice, go to church. Uh, beyond that, you have to prioritize real person interaction. Digital is not enough. It's a good start. It's nice that we have that option, especially in quarantine, but it's not sufficient. We are incarnational beings. We have bodies. We got flesh and meat. That's part of who we are. We live in time. We live in space. It's not enough simply to abstract that to text messages or emails or even Skype, FaceTime, Zoom. It it isn't enough. You got to be in person with somebody to, to really develop that relationship. Uh, You got to, you got to visit people. You got to, you got to really make the effort to do that. 
Uh, those are two things I would do right away. They're pretty simple to do, right? When the country, whenever it does open back up, you can always go to a coffee shop, always go to a bar, always go to some interest group. You can, you can be around people, even if they're not friends of yours, even if you don't know them very well. And, and certainly you can always go to church. That would be my first place to start. And, uh, you know, open yourselves up to talking to people. Recognize that the whole world isn't about you. And then, ironically, your own life, your own self-interest will uh, get a lot better. From Travis. Hello, Michael. What are some private sector career paths available for somebody deeply interested in politics? I am studying political science in college and don't want to run for office and yet would love to make a career dealing with political issues. Many thanks. Now, you're going to run into a problem, which is that politics is by definition public. So it's not private. Now, the distinction between public and private is a little blurry sometimes, but politics by definition is a public thing. Now, probably what you're saying is you don't want to work for the government, which is, makes perfect sense. Um, you know, unfortunately for you, a lot of politics does occur at the governmental level, but some of it does not. So one clear example in the private sector would be working in political media. So that could involve you writing columns, you know, write, or being a straight political reporter or being a professor. You know, professors, uh, if you're working at a private university, are in the private sector. Or it could mean you work at some political nonprofit. Or it could mean you work at some political think tank. But there isn't too much political business, I guess. You know, there aren't political factories churning out politics beyond what I've just described because politics is is public. Politics is, and it does relate most directly to the government. So I wouldn't limit yourself to saying, I don't want to have anything to do with the government. I don't want to have anything to do with, with the public because, you know, that's just not how politics works. And politics also is not a, not a straight career path. You're going to have a lot of different jobs in politics. You know, so, I mean, I started, my, my first political job was when I was 18, 18 or 19. And you know, you hop on this campaign, that campaign, this political action committee, this, you're writing for this person, you're talking to this person, you've got this show. I mean, it's just, it's a really fun, wild career path, but you can't be too choosy about it. From Justin, Michael, is it more American to buy a Ford made in Mexico or a Toyota made in America? Love the show. Wow. What a good question. I would have to say it's more American to buy the Toyota made in America. Really what this question is doing is asking you to choose between something that really looks like what you want and something that really is more like what you want. And it's also asking you to choose between profits for owners and workers and employment and, you know, company loyalty. Now those, those things are not always at odds, but when they are at odds, I kind of go more for the America working, having our own manufacturing, having some loyalty to this country and being more of the thing rather than merely looking at the thing. You know, uh, early, I was, I, I was an actor earlier in my, uh, in my twenties, in my wayward youth. And, uh, some, I sometimes joke about that. I say, I used to be an actor. Now I'm the real thing. I think it's better to be more in the camp of uh, reality from Michael. Hello, Michael of the camp of Knowles. Wow. It's weird that that those two words, it's quite a coincidence. Maybe it's Providence. I don't know. Most austere religious podcaster. My question is about the teaching of Jesus Christ as a historical figure as well as a biblical one. 
Why is Jesus not mentioned in the history books that are taught in a school? We have records that predate Jesus, so might it be a way of keeping God out of schools under the auspices of the separation of church and state or something more insidious? Thanks for all you do. Yeah, it's funny. The fact that we even discuss this as a distinction shows you how rotten the problem of an atheist culture has gotten. That we say, well, there's the biblical Jesus and the historical Jesus. There's a course when I was in college called the historical Jesus. As though those were different people. As though the Bible is, that's not true. That's ridiculous. Those are a bunch of fairy tales. They're the most reliable documents we have of the era. But yeah, no, sure. It's just, that's a fairy tale. The real historical Jesus uh, disproves Christianity entirely. That's, that's the kind of narrative they want to tell you based on very little evidence. The, the gospels are historically very reliable, right? You know, unlike other religions, Christianity is not founded exactly on poetry or philosophy. It's founded on journalism. The gospels are journalist accounts of, of the life of Christ. And, and what happened afterward with the, the apostles, you know, and the rest of the New Testament, the letters, right? Those are like, those, those could be newspaper columns, you know, the, the epistles. So I would, I would look there first. Why is Jesus not mentioned in, in the history books, in history classes these days? At other times in history, he was taught, but it, it shows you not only how corrupt our own time has become, but a little bit of what Christ was telling us about which is that the world is going to hate him and the world is going to hate you because of him. I mean, regardless of what you think about the divinity of Jesus, surely he is the most important person that ever walked the earth. He changed everything. When you talk about how history is taught, the way that we date things is about him, right? We have before Christ and Anno, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. AD, right, refers to the year of Christ. Now they try to change that. They keep the exact same scale, but they now call it before the common era and after the common era. They're actively trying to write Jesus out of history. Same thing with the saints. The saints are the greatest people that ever lived, and yet we're never taught about them. Isn't that weird? You know, a secular culture would look at that and say, see, it's evidence that they don't really matter. But someone with any reason or wisdom would look at that and say, gosh, that's evidence that it's all true. All right, before we go, let's get to one quick one from Paul and Elizabeth. Dear Michael, could you give us some concise pro-Trump talking points? We have some conservative Christian friends who are reluctant to enthusiastically support President Trump because of his behavior, or at least the media's portrayal of his behavior. Can we shine a light on his accomplishments? All the best. Yes. First of all, if you're worried about Trump's behavior, don't forget anything that Trump is being accused of, Joe Biden is accused of too. Trump's accused of lying. Joe Biden actually had to drop out of the presidential race in 1988 because of he, he is a proven liar. He's lied about virtually everything. Uh, you're worried about the sexual allegations. Donald Trump's a little bit of a playboy and he pays off porn stars apparently. Joe Biden is being accused with some credibility of sexual assault. That one's off the table too. Donald Trump uses colorful language. Joe Biden uses colorful language. Let's not forget when uh, the Obama healthcare bill passed and he said, this is a big effing deal on microphone before the international press. So I would take that off the table. Then what has Trump accomplished? Most importantly, the judges. He's given us all of these judges who will craft for, for a generation or more our legal system, the way we interpret laws, very possibly prevent the redefinition of biological sex, very possibly save lots of babies <laughs> through the uh, gradual, at least we hope, 
abolition of this fictitious right to uh, abortion in the constitution. Very important stuff. If you're conservative Christian, as you say your friends are, you want that. You can't vote for a pro-abortion politician. You can't vote for someone who wants to radically redefine the very nature of existence. You can't vote for a socialist. That's just the judges. He's also wrecked the credibility of the media. He's preserved relative peace abroad. He treats our allies like our allies and our enemies like our enemies. He does what he says he's going to do. He's let people keep more of their own money as he promised that he would. The economy was doing very well before China sniped us out with this Wuhan flu. And it's, it's, it's just been very good. I mean, I, I guess I can't think of real downsides to the administration. I can pick a little bill or two here. I didn't like that jailbreak bill that he passed, you know, I think it was what, about a year ago. But other than that, who cares? It's okay. It's a pretty good administration. I would ask them what their objections are because I think pretty simple answers to the objections. All right. One last one before we go from Nick. Dear master of the absence of the written language, my question is what is more likely for you to vote for Joe Biden in November or for me to spot Ben Shapiro out for a jog, eating bacon, listening to his iPod on a Saturday afternoon. Thanks. In order for Ben to eat bacon on a Saturday afternoon, the the only way that that would happen, I think, is the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, proving definitively that Christianity is true, right, In, in the minds of everybody. Uh, and there is no way for me to vote for Joe Biden in November is certainly much more likely that the second coming will happen and the end times and that Christianity is true. Obviously I've staked a lot of my life on that. So clearly, clearly the latter. All right. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles show. See you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.